0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Wasn't parenting already challenging before COVID hit? But what if you could connect with real world resources and parents struggling right along with all of us We're trying to figure out how to meet our children's needs amid a global pandemic. Meet Dr. Amanda Zelahowski, a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist and attorney specializing in trauma who decided to start a nonprofit to help parents like you and me. Pandemic parenting began as a collaboration between Amanda and Dr. Lindsay Malloy, two psychologists, scholars, and moms committed to sharing their expertise and research with families information overload, warning signs of mental health issues with our kids, spouses, and partners, and how to treat ourselves with compassion are all topics Amanda and I discuss during our conversation. Amanda and her team have turned pandemic parenting into a digital hub for parents with multiple mediums and resources, resources, no matter what stage of parenting you may be at. It is a free resource that I encourage all parents to take advantage of as we continue to navigate our way through this pandemic. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Amanda Zelahowski. So Amanda, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Um, You know, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. We've been uh, hit and miss on trying to get together, but uh, I'm glad you're here to talk about all things life balance, parenting, COVID, you, you name it.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
2: So I think the best place to start for our audience is to give a little bit of background about what you do in this pandemic parenting um, site business (laughs) that you and your sister and a few others uh, have launched. So um, why don't you start with your background and then we'll kind of move into that.
1: Sure. So I'm a clinical and forensic psychologist um, by day, right? I focus primarily on, on trauma in my work, early childhood trauma and adversity and how that leads to, you know, various paths in life and risks and things like that. And so, I have spent, you know, most of my career as a psychology faculty member for the last 10 years at Valparaiso University, now most recently moved over to Purdue Northwest, uh, both of which are in Northwest Indiana, just outside of the Chicago area. And so, as I said, you know, when I focus on on trauma, that means a lot of different things. And when you do trauma research, typically, you're having to study things after the fact, right? After a crisis happens, you know, you're able to study what has happened. And it's a pretty rare situation where you know a crisis is coming before it does or as it's coming. And that's what happened with COVID-19, right? So right before you know, we had this sense that, hey, this is coming and it's going to be pretty bad. And so, in my world, when I first was understanding what looked like it was going to happen, these lockdowns and quarantines and shifting to remote learning and those kinds of things, um, you know, my mind goes immediately to concern about child maltreatment rates because we know that's a sort of recipe for disaster when you have really stressed parents, you have kids no longer in schools, the community supports and sort of village we all rely so heavily on was going to be abruptly sort of ripped away from us. So, So I wanted and I also was worried in my own house, like, this is going to be really hard. How are we going to do this? My husband and I both work full time. We have three young kids um, in various stages of schooling. And so I just didn't and and we have all the resources and privilege in the world. Right. And so if I was that concerned about how hard this was going to be, I could only imagine for a lot of, you know, People in lots of different circumstances. So I launched a study, right? That's what we do as social scientists. We don't always know how to cope. So we say, okay, let's study it. And so I um, collected information on about 450 families. We followed them for the first three months of the pandemic, really looking at child mental health, parent mental health, how these things were, you know, how they were talking about some of these things in their homes and what it just really meant for everybody's well being. Um, and then, you know, around the summer of 2020, like all of us so adorably thought, you know, the pandemic's almost over, right? Like, this is great. You know, we're, we're nearly through this. Isn't that? You. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, so when it looked that summer, like, man, we're about to start round two of this, you know, trying to make these decisions again about whether our kids should be back in school, you know, what's going to happen. And it's so many friends reaching out to me with questions. How do I make these decisions? Why are we struggling? So, you know, why is this so hard? And so I, I started to realize like, we do a terrible job of this often in, in science. Where I was sitting on this data that I knew could be really helpful to people right now. And I was going to be lucky if it gets published in the next year. Like that's just what this process is. And so I was feeling restless. Like we have to, we have to do something. We have to get this information out to people now. They could benefit from these things that I admittedly take for granted, you know, because of my training that people just know concepts like decision fatigue. Well, this is why you're struggling so much. You're feeling cognitively overloaded, right? Well, they don't necessarily know that that's normal to feel that way in a crisis like this. So I reached out to my colleague, um, Dr. Lindsay Malloy, who's out at Ontario Tech in Canada, and she was doing a similar study. And we just sort of put our heads together and said, there has to be a better way. We launched the first free webinar in August of 2020, focused on this very idea of, of making decisions in this very difficult time of a pandemic. And haven't really looked back since. Like the response was amazing. You know, we had so many parents tuning in and asking questions that we continued. And we did these free webinars every other week, focused, trying to stay in front of the questions parents had right now, right? Like I'm Googling things in the middle of the night. I'm worried. I'm stressed. I don't have time to read that brilliant experts 300 page book. And so like, I just need an answer. And that's really what we used to kind of drive the way we did things was you also don't probably have time to tune into a one hour webinar. And we know that. So we would break it down into these one or two minute clips, you know, highlight clips. Um, so that's how this whole nonprofit organization was born called Pandemic Parenting.
2: Wow. That's, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. There. yeah. <laughs> so the, the question I, I, I God, I want to go in so many different directions.
1: Let's so, go in all of them. Go so, for
2: it. <laughs> so let me, let me ask this before I forget is how I've learned about therapy and counseling and just, you know, self-improvement, you know, awareness is step number one. You know, yeah. you, you're, you're aware that, okay, I'm overwhelmed. I'm I I don't know what direction I'm going in. So I know I've got a problem, but even even when you realize that you have a problem and you and you find resources like yours, and we'll get into some of the specifics, sure. I think, is I realize I have a problem. I know I can go get resources, but then actually putting those those resources into action in real life situations, how how difficult. I find that very difficult, just mm-hmm. from my own family situation with with the triplets and the plus one, and Teresa working a demanding, you know, full time <laughs> career. Like how how can how can people help get themselves over that hump and actually do something, like take mm-hmm. action? Because that's even in my field yeah. of wealth planning, financial planning, getting people to take that first step is always the hardest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge piece of it. Some of it is we're so overwhelmed. Like, I don't even know where to begin, right? Is I think how a lot of us were feeling at different stages. I mean, even before the pandemic, right? A lot of yeah, parenting is just overwhelming in general at many different stages and for many reasons. But then you layer on top of that all the complexities of the last year and a half. And so I think sometimes it's because of this information overload. We're saturated. We don't even know where to sort of start or, you know, what makes sense. Or even, you know, you said at the beginning part of this is to acknowledge or be aware of the issue. I don't know that many of us were even there. Like. I, I know that I'm overwhelmed, but I, I don't know what the actual problem is, or I don't know what's wrong. And because people will say to you, well, how can I help? What can I do? And we don't know the answer to that, right? It's like, I don't even know what kind of help to ask for. And so, I think that what we've tried to do in this work is really break things down into these very bite-sized digestible pieces. So, if I'm talking to you about how hard, you've, how hard it's been for you to make decisions, then what we're going to do is pull out of that, like, some very specific tips instead of just saying, well, yes, this is all very hard and, you know, it's okay, but but what do I do about that? That's what's driven a lot of these conversations we've had with experts is, okay, well, I know that here are three things I can try. I can try to really limit the amount of decisions I'm having to make each day. I can try to really prioritize What are decisions that actually have to be made right now? And what are those that can be tabled? And then maybe I can remind myself that things work until they don't and very few decisions are permanent. So I'm going to make a decision for this week. And if we need to reevaluate next week, we'll come back and do that. So it's trying to get really specific and practical. so, So it's easier to apply things to your context. And the other thing I'd say there is that it's also identifying what kind of help we need. And so... In one of our podcasts, we talk with an expert Uh, Dr. Christina Grange around this idea of parents' mental health. And she really broke it down, which I thought was so helpful, into the different types of support parents need. So is it that you maybe need emotional support right now, that you just need somebody to vent and sort of hear so you can feel seen and heard about how much you're struggling? Maybe you need like really specific logistical support. I need somebody to drop off a meal. I need somebody to help me carpool my kids. Maybe it's financial support. Like when we can break it down into categories like that, it becomes, easier, like you said, to really, okay, reach out, get the help I need. I've identified or isolated the issue instead of just, I am drowning and I don't know how to get help.
2: So how do you, do you, do you see people have the ability to, to do that on their own or do they need to like seek out like professional help, like a licensed therapist or mm-hmm. counselor?
1: I think that's a great question. And some of it is <clears throat> Um, we don't always know, right? We're, we're not really good at giving ourselves uh, reality checks sometimes when we need them. So, I mean, I'm just as guilty of that as everybody else, you know, as a clinical psychologist, I rely on people in my circle, you know, my spouse, my family, my friends to be able to, to call me on things and say, you know, I know you said you're doing okay, but, but let's really talk about that. Or I'm noticing that, you know, you're, God, God bless my husband in, in the ways he has tried gently to say this, you know, you're, you're more irritable maybe lately with the kids than, you know, I've noticed in weeks past. Can we talk about that? (laughs) Like, it's just, but it has to be in these circles of, of people that you trust to be vulnerable with, to really rely on them to, to call you on those things. And so, because we are not good detectors for ourselves. And so that's, you know, one piece of it is, is, are we actually able to figure out when we're struggling? And then it's, okay, well, what kind of support do I need right now? And I have to say that, that lately, I mean, in the, not just in the pandemic, but before that, right, social media has made that really hard for us to do because we scroll through our feeds and we see, well, everybody I know seems to be doing just fine. And so maybe it's just me, whereas everybody is not necessarily doing just fine or they're only showing certain parts of themselves, um, presenting themselves in, a, themselves in a certain way. So I don't think that has helped this this stigma around really trying to figure out if I need to get help is this normal is this just me and I guess what I want to say especially to a lot of parents is this isn't a normal situation. Um, we are all struggling in different ways, some more than others. It, it looks really different for every family. But I have heard from so many parents this guilt around like, I don't know why I can't pull it together. We've been at this a year and a half. I should have it figured out by now. Why am I struggling more now than I was previously, right? And it's this, this guilt and self-blame rather than grace, which is just recognizing like this has been relentless we are not wired to operate at this level of chronic stress and uncertainty. So, not only is it okay if you're feeling that way, but there is help. And so, to your question about when is it time to really seek help from a licensed professional, you know, I would just say try to look at your patterns. If you have somebody in your life that you trust that you can really talk it through honestly and say, have you noticed these things, like uh, how long has this been going on that you've noticed for me? There are some just sort of great self reflective questions like that. Um, you know, what would my life look like if I didn't feel this way? Um, you know, just trying to imagine that and I, I I guess isolate and identify what are the areas that you really are questioning right now and what's the worst thing that can happen if I do seek help? There's a lot of fear around seeking help versus trying to reframe that into what if I give it a shot? And if it doesn't work, okay, but it it works until it doesn't. And But let me just take that first step to see and imagine what my life might look like if I didn't feel this way all the time.
2: So there's a lot to unpack back there too. Um, I, I think you, you did hit a nail on the head where it, as as parents, parenting was already hard enough before COVID. And then obviously COVID just took that up, you know, a factor of X. And what what I think most people are I know personally, I'll just use me as an example. I personally struggle with not giving myself that grace to say, look, you know, I've got four kids. And, you know, a wife that has a demanding job, you know, I have a demanding And I have, like, how I view what I do is I have my own families to take care of. I have 60 families that rely on me to help provide them sometimes emotional support more than financial support. Um, but to, to, to be there, to be their sounding board when, you know, crisis is, you know, you know hit like it did back in March of 2020. So... I'm, I struggle with giving myself that, that grace and giving myself a timeout, if you will, to take a breather and say, this is okay. And obviously mental health has gotten a lot as has gotten into mainstream media Or, you know, you look at what happened with Simone Biles through the yes. Olympics, um, Michael Phelps, um, you know, getting out there more talking about his, his, um, struggles with mental health, how, I guess what are some of the signs as parents that we should be looking for in each other, like with our spouse or our partner, and then with our kids, that hey, there's there's a bigger issue here than 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 just trying to get through COVID or what we're or what we're trying to get through. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I want to go back actually just really briefly to what you just said right before that, which was, you know, you've struggled to give yourself this grace. You recognize that you're also, you know, responsible in many ways for coaching families through this, you know, in different aspects of their lives as well. And that is just another great tip I was thinking about as you were saying that, which is try to think about how you might coach one of those families, your clients or a friend. Like, how would you talk to them about what's going on? Right. You would you wouldn't be so critical. You would say all of those things we were just talking about, right? You would say, remember, this is a really hard time, like this is a transition for everyone. No one, all those nice, gentle, reassuring things we say to the people we care about, we don't say to ourselves. We are so much harder on ourselves, especially in as parents. And so I just encourage you to really think about sometimes in these moments where we're you know, struggling and, and yeah, that, that negative self-talk to just pause and say, you know what, <laughs> what would I say to my best friend if they came to me with these similar frustrations, complaints, worries, and how would I talk to them? And then turn that around on yourself because we would never talk to our friends the way we talk to ourselves inside our heads. So it's just one of those things that I think is really important to remember. Um, We have so much grace and compassion for others and very rarely do we for ourselves. So. And I,
2: I wouldn't be able to reference the books, but I know I've read that in multiple. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's, it's a,
1: a very common actually. Um, intervention technique you know with people of all ages with kids too you know when it comes to things like anxiety and worry and some of these negative thoughts so it's it's a very frequent strategy used in like cognitive behavioral therapy techniques is working to reframe these these negative thoughts we have or that self-talk so yeah yeah it's a good one that we just don't tend to be very good at for ourselves so but going back to your other question you know around what are some sort of signs and things we should look at um I'm so grateful for the national conversations right now. You know, I I hate that we're here, of course, and and that mental health rates are trending in such concerning ways. But I really appreciate a lot of the folks that you've mentioned, you know, not being afraid to come forward and acknowledge. It's the the only way I think, or one of the primary ways we're going to continue to shift this paradigm that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help, that we really need to be You know, in my sort of trauma framework, we shift a lot of the questioning from, you know, what's wrong with you to what happened to you. We're really trying to understand and help people feel safe to to get the help they need. So when it comes to your kids or even, you know, yourself or your partner, thinking about things like behavioral patterns, right? What has shifted? We want to really look at things like, you know, what did my child enjoy doing? What are some of the hobbies, friendships, you know, and has that stopped or decreased? Do they just not seem interested in a lot of the things they used to really enjoy or be interested in? Is there that sort of apathy of of just, or indifference, you know, around things that I know they they really used to enjoy? And I want to have conversations about that. Now, when it comes to conversations with kids, you want to be really careful not to interrogate them i'm definitely guilty of this right we're worried <laughs> we want to know what's going on you know kids aren't always very forthright with what's happening in their internal worlds or their social worlds again depending on their ages or their individual personalities so one of the best ways to create opportunity opportunities to talk with your kids is to create those opportunities, right? Make sure there is space and time to do so. So, think about how things work with your family, right? And this looks different in each of our households, but, you know, is it the time to bring it up in that chaotic conversation in the car where you're throwing one kid out the car to soccer practice and you're racing this one off to, you know, piano lessons? And um, probably not. Right. Although I do have to say some of the most amazing conversations I've had with my kids are in the car. And so don't forget that that is also creating space and time, not in the chaos, but maybe you've dropped you know, one off and it's just you and another child and, and you don't get that one-on-one time very often. I use those opportunities all the time to not interrogate, but just sort of say, hey, anything interesting happened today? You know? And then I just like, I'm sort of quiet and see what comes of it. Or instead of asking directed questions, you know, things like, is there a song that you've really been into lately? I'd love to hear it. And then tell me about it. Tell me why this song is, you know, sort of resonating with you. I mean, you can learn so much from creating moments of quiet and you'd be surprised sometimes organically what they come up with um, rather than when we're, you know, peppering them with all of these questions. So I would just say, If you're worried, you really want to try to create opportunities for your child to tell you things. And one of the things I think people don't often realize when it comes to kids really, really struggling with, you know, crises or traumatic situations is that you know kids really only tell us what they think we can handle. And so,
2: whoa, 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 whoa! (laughs) Yeah, that is really interesting. Can you like? (laughs) <laughs> Explain yeah. that in a little bit more detail. Yeah.
1: Yes. That- so we've been really stressed as parents, right? Our kids pick up on this. I mean, in this pandemic, like, wow, has this been a recipe for stress for parents financially, personally, with work, you know, you name it. We're struggling with it because we're trying to make all these decisions for our families without a roadmap. Well, our kids for much of it, you know, in most parts of the country were locked in houses with us and saw that stress, try as we might to protect them from it, to buffer all of those things. They're more Um,
2: aware of things like that than we give them credit for. Yes.
1: A hundred percent. They pick up on everything, even your young kids, right? That you think, oh, they don't understand. And the other, you know, big I guess, sort of misnomer that I want to just touch on is this idea that you probably hear in the mainstream a lot, like kids are so resilient, children are resilient, they'll be fine, you know, when actually we really need to do things to build that resilience. You know, they're not just born that way. We have to teach them and model for them what resilience looks like. So, when I say that they only tell us what they think we can handle, if I am falling apart, right, I am angry, I am frustrated and stressed, and they know, like, mom can't handle another thing right now. This is not the time to go to her and say, hey, this kid has been kind of bothering me at school and it makes me really sad or scared to go to my six period math class because I'm worried that he, I mean, that's a huge thing I need and want to know as a parent. But if I have not created an environment where I can hear that right now and I'm open to that and I want to listen and help and you have my attention, they're not going to share, especially when I say, well, what's going on? It's, what's going on in your math class. You know, I, I, your grades are dropping. This is terrible. Tell me what's going on and you better pull it together. I mean, gosh, the, the roads we go down, right. When we want to be helpful because we're worried and I'm not saying any of this to be judgmental. I'm just as guilty of it as the next parent, but trying to get better at as stressed as I am, if I do not create these opportunities Of space and time for my kids to share things with me, they will not share them with me. And I will learn after the fact and like, wow. And then I'll say to them, why didn't you tell me this was going on? Right. Or they might say, well, I tried, but you know, that day you told me I have a meeting, get out of here or any myriad of things. So it's not that you need to be, you know, sitting, at the kitchen table for nine hours, just waiting and hoping your kid's going to walk by and tell you something interesting. But it is, how am I building in some of these quiet check-in moments? I think for many of us, right, that's bedtime. You know, the time that you are just like, dear Lord, please go to sleep and don't ask for one more drink of water. If I just lay there next to you for a few minutes, I know you're asking for one more story and one more this and that, but I wonder if I can just create a few minutes of quiet together. You'd be surprised what comes out in those moments. Um,
2: what you all just, what what you just touched on and all those different points is one area personally where I probably struggle the most as a parent is I probably talk to my kids more as adults than I do as kids, because I don't necessarily know how to talk to them as Mm -hmm. a, a kid. So, and I, I know this will probably, they'll be, they'll be going to therapy like when they're older and like <laughs> my dad really messed me up no. and, and and how he talked to us. And that's, I think you kind of hit on how I personally feel about the, about that on all those different points where I need to realize that these, these kids are just kids. they they're, they, I don't need to put all of this additional stress on them that they probably see going around and maybe, as you pointed out, probably very acutely aware of to where they shut down and don't want to have conversations with dad or, or mom anymore. And that's that's the one thing i really, really am concerned about is that <clears throat> if I don't learn this skill now when they're like my my, my triple to be 11 in December and McKenzie R plus one will be nine in, in October here in a few weeks if I don't learn how to do this now, I, I have this over, I have this great fear that I'll, I'll kind of lose them forever. And then yeah. they'll, they'll never want to talk to me.
1: That's right. Yeah. And it, I think learning to talk to kids is it's easy and it's impossibly hard, right? Like it's just this always sort of tracking them, you know, where are they at right now? What are they into? And, and one of the things I just encourage people is like, find ways to be an easy adult to be around. Right? Like, who do you like to be around? And what do you remember as a kid being really tough adults to be around? And who were grownups you really liked to be around? And why is that? Right? My guess is that the ones you didn't like to be around were hypercritical um, you know, just, yeah. Like, like writing you all the time about things.
2: Oh my God. You're like, you're like, I swear This is Teresa's telling me this all the time. Like, <laughs> you've got to get off writing these kids. I'm like, I know I'm horrible. Right. It's like, it's, it's hard to pull that back. But I, I, am if I'm understanding your point, like, and I'm putting myself in my kid's shoes by what you're just telling me. I'm like, I can see no wonder why they don't. They, I, I have sometimes difficult conversations with them or have a hard time having conversations with them because I'm always, they probably see me always nagging, like, why didn't you take out the trash? What's going, like to your point, what's going on with math class? Like what's the, what's the problem? And I'm always like, bam, 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 like on them. And I need to take from what I'm learning from you right now, I need to take my foot off of the the accelerator.
1: (laughs) Well, and I don't want to say that, you know, listen, every conversation with our kids isn't going to be sunshine and butterflies. Like we also have a a job to do, which is is to raise them and teach them the things that they need to know that we, you know, instill values, all those kinds of things. So I I don't want you to think that that isn't a part of our interactions. Of course, that's part of it, it. And that's an important part of it. But you know i've learned too like sometimes it can really help when we're not in the heat of the moment to actually have conversations where we're explaining why we're doing things right so i'll give you an example you know this is a, also what you're describing happens in my house all the time please so don't i don't want you to feel like you're alone in that i mean you know parents nag that's what we do we're really good at it so you know my son was mowing the lawn as one of his chores that you know my husband to his great credit, you know, has done a great job trying to teach him and, you know, whatever. And so my son at one point was so angry and like, um, why does dad make me do this? I have to do the whole yard. Like he's so lazy. He just doesn't want to do it. And I was like, oh, right. Cause dad's sitting in here watching golf while you're out there mowing the lawn. Like he's out there, you know, weed whacking and doing it right next to you and helping you. But you know, okay. And so it was just, he was frustrated in that moment and that wasn't the time to talk about it. Right. Right. But later when we were both, you know, calm, totally moved on, I said, you know, do you know why we have you do these chores? And, and we just had this beautiful conversation where I was explaining to him, like, we only get a certain amount of years to teach you and show you all the things we, we think you're going to need to be like a really productive, happy, successful adult. And so, you know, that's why we build these things into our schedule. And it was just this interesting conversation then where he was starting to realize like, you're right. Like if I only live at home for this many more years, you know, and then I go to college, like you only have this many more years to teach me these things. And it was like, yeah. So, not that he gets up, skips on outside and is so happy to mow the lawn now, but it's just like, it was a five-minute conversation, right? It's these yeah. little moments that we can sort of say, you know, I don't, it's not that I like nagging you or writing you, but here's why I do that. Actually, because I love you a lot and I really want to make sure you feel ready to be in the world in whatever that looks like for you, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it's, it's ironic that you framed that conversation the way you did, because I actually just had a similar conversation with my foursome probably a few weeks ago. And I think a few of them kind of the light bulb went off. Like, yeah, I think I understand what you're saying, dad. And then the other probably two are like, I don't know about this.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And they're going to forget. And they're, I mean, the other thing I guess I should say related to this is, we spend a lot of time talking at our kids, right? We lecture them. We talk at them. We have all of these things we need to teach you because we are your wise and sage parents and you need to learn all of the things. We don't spend, I think, in my opinion, nearly enough time listening to kids. Um, our kids are so much more intuitive, insightful, and thoughtful than we often give them credit for. And I've been trying to work really hard at this, like to just do more listening. You know, they will they will give us the gut, the roadmap for raising them in many ways. If we do some more listening and understand that, you know, what works for this child isn't, I need to parent my kids differently, but we also lump them together right into how I am going to raise the children. And it's like, they're each these really individual personalities and they're going to need us in different ways and, and need some of our strengths in different ways. And then when I realize that this kid has this need, that that isn't a strength for me. Like, how am I going to get that bucket filled? Who else can I pull in in their world to sort of help fill that bucket? Uh, you know, so it's just remembering to, to spend more time listening to your kids, but create those opportunities for space and time to listen that they want to share.
2: So let, I, I, right now I want to kind of pause on where we're going with, with, with the parenting conversation and come back to you personally, Amanda what is your story? Like, how did you end up deciding to go into this field and down this, this path of, you know, psychology and therapy and Mm -hmm. like, what is, there's a story behind there somewhere. (laughs) And (laughs) and that's why I want to pull out of you right now.
1: Yeah, sure. So I was an undergrad psych major, um, and didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. You know, oh, I, I think came...
2: we should say like where you went to undergrad. Oh,
1: of course. The University of Notre Dame, go Irish.
2: Yeah. So, yes. as <laughs> most people know on this podcast, I'm, I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. So, um, yep. we had to make sure we got that in there. Of
1: course. Absolutely. Thank you for, for making me pay my homage, as I should <laughs> be doing every 10 minutes. Right. So, um, yeah. So, was an undergrad psychology major didn't know what I wanted to do with it, but, but really just loved the study of psychology. It just made sense to me. I've always been really interested in, in people and understanding people. And, um, but I also come from a family of, you know, attorneys and people really involved, you know, interested in the legal system. And so that was always on my mind too. Like, should I go to law school? And so, I then discovered that I didn't have to choose. There were these joint programs, a handful of them around the country, uh, law psychology, dual degree programs. And I was so fortunate to go to one that was amazing. It was in Philadelphia at Drexel and Villanova, a joint program. And so I never wanted to practice law, but was really interested in working in the forensic context, right? So in correctional facilities, juvenile justice facilities, and so wanted to use a lot of my legal training and background infused into the psychology world. So I did a joint degree program. And then as I was finishing that up um, in my sort of internship kind of residency training, working in correctional facilities in those sorts of contexts, I kept realizing like all of these people, most of these people have the same story, the early childhood trauma, adversity, like we're not paying attention to that. You know, this was, I mean, near 20 years ago before... Trauma-informed care or aspects of understanding trauma were really much in the conversation. And so I took a bit of a detour, got some intensive training in in trauma um, at a place called the Trauma Center in Boston, and have been trying to bring it back to the forensic system and child welfare systems and contexts ever since. Um, And so, but then went into academia. Like I never wanted to be a professor. I used to look at my mentors in grad school and like, oh, who would want that life? I don't understand it. And so Um, But as I got more into my training and clinical work, you know, working with a lot of kids and families, I also learned that I really love to teach and and to get to do research that I actually get to choose, right? When people think about research, they picture lots of things. You know, I, I obviously work with lots of undergraduate and graduate students and their perceptions of what it means to do research is sitting in some creepy basement lab at a university, you know, entering data into a computer And so when I get to teach them about, like, my research is in jails and prisons and juvenile justice facilities and residential treatment centers for adolescents, like, that's my doing research, you know, getting to talk to people about their lives, it starts to look really different. And so anyway, so I just couldn't stop. I couldn't deny that I really loved academia and loved being a student. And so it's probably no surprise to anyone in my life that I ended up back being essentially a professional student as a professor, right, forever. Um, So because it means I get to do everything. I get to teach. I get to research. I get to do lots of training and consultation with people. I get to accidentally start a nonprofit in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, I love it. And it's, uh, I can't imagine doing anything else.
2: So let's go, let's, let's shift back to um, your nonprofit and pandemic parenting. So obviously I'll link in our show notes to to your site, to your guys' podcast as well. Um, But what are some of the, I guess, key features of pandemic parenting as far as like what resources are available, Mm -hmm. things of that nature that people can take advantage of?
1: Sure. So I view it now as like it's a digital resource hub. So you can go to our website, follow any of our social media channels. Our website is pandemic-parent.org. And you're going to find I think, so many things and so many formats to meet you where you are, right? So so there's a podcast, like you mentioned, Paul. There's, you know, all of the recordings of, we did a series of 15 webinars um, throughout the pandemic. Everything we bring in, these experts, And we get them to translate, whether it's their sort of research or clinical work, into these really practical tips for parents. You know, we want to make sure people have access to the most credible, recent psychological science, but in ways that are immediately useful. So you'll also find tons of infographics. We have over 160 of these, like I said, one to two minute bite-sized clips, which are those questions you're probably Googling in the middle of the night like I am, and we have an expert answering them for you. Um, You'll find blogs there, you know, just anything. You can go and type in the search box, you know, how much screen time is too much, and you'll find a whole host of resources. Everything's free. And again, like I said, it's meant to be really sort of quick and easily accessible, and we're also just trying to stay in front of the questions that parents have, the things that might be coming up. So we just released an episode on um, vaccine fear and anxiety. So if you're ready to take your kids for their flu shots, or we're getting great news about the vaccine, you know, being nearly ready for kids ages 5 to 12. And so, of course, now parents are like, okay, but my kids are terrified of needles and shots. And so, you know, what does that mean? And by the way, it's not just kids. You'll hear our expert on that episode, Dr. Christine Chambers, talk about how it's actually older adolescents, adults have so much more fear of needles than people realize that it's it's a pretty prevalent issue uh, that we assume is with young kids. But so many of the tips she shares, I think, are so helpful for adults too. And I can tell you that they're tried and true. I just took my kids for their flu shots last week, and we immediately used several of the tips she shared, which was a game changer for us. So the the next two episodes we have coming, we'll focus on um, probably the parent group we've heard from the most throughout this work, which is parents who have kids with disabilities. So, whether that's chronic medical conditions, developmental disabilities, mental health issues, I mean, these are the parents screaming into the abyss that have felt invisible and so left behind in this conversation Um, throughout the pandemic of how hard this has been, you know, to really support their kids and their unique needs throughout losing access to so many services and supports. So, And then the other part of that will be an episode on parents with disabilities. So when I have a disability, how hard this has been and what I need to do. Um, and we just hear from from lots of really amazing parents in those episodes. So you can find, again, everything at, at the website. And I just encourage people to let us know what we should be doing next, what topic we should cover, what questions you have, um, and follow our social media because it is become this amazing community of support. I would say I feel it like knowing there are all these other parents out there struggling like I am um, and we're in it together and and whatever sort of questions and support we can offer each other all the better.
2: Well, I think <laughs> I could keep going on and on, but I know I only have you for a finite period of time. So I think with, with that said, I think we'll, we'll close with our, with my, my, with my closing question, which I asked, all of my guests that are, that are parents, which is what is the best thing about being a parent?
1: Oh gosh. Wow. I think that they're the, uh, like the, the best education, they teach me so much. I don't even know how to say that. Like how many graduate degrees do I have? And they've taught me nothing in comparison to what my children teach me every day when I can get out of my own way and listen and let them teach me what it is I need to know. Um, they're just the most incredible teachers. And I I love getting to learn from these little experts every day. It's such a blessing.
2: Well, I think that is, I, I love asking that question and, and everyone I ask has a very unique and different answer and uh, yours is, is, is very fitting as well. So Amanda, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And again, We'll make sure that we link um, in our show notes to all these great resources. So I really encourage people uh, to check those out and be a part of this pandemic parenting community that, that you and your team have
0: created.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and for the work that you do as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit tamacapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.